welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Today, we have a special episode. We have a conversation between Jen Webb, who hosts the O'Reilly Radar Podcast, and Natalina Busa, who heads the Applied Data Science Group at Teradata. They talked about the current state of predictive analytics, and in particular, what are the big challenges in the area today. I also want to uh, highlight the fact that Natalino is going to be teaching an online training class for us on uh, geolocated data, extracting patterns from mobile data using scikit-learn in Cassandra. This will be on November 1st and 2nd, so I hope you guys sign up for that class. Uh, Natalino is one of the best speakers I've seen. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for joining me today, Natalino. Thank you, Jen. It's nice being here. So let's start with sort of a broad question. How would you describe the current state of predictive analytics and what are the biggest challenges you're facing in that space today? Okay, so uh, predictive analytics is, um, it's been evolving uh, in in, in the past, uh, uh, I would say, uh, I would say about 50 years from, uh, let's say, a more traditional uh, uh, statistical methodology based on, uh, on, uh, yeah, very well-known techniques into a form which embeds uh, new algorithms, new uh, new techniques, and, and new methods sometimes. In general, uh, we see that predictive analytics is based on uh, uh, things like extracting and crafting features. So, in a way, features are at the essence of uh, what today we experience as uh, predictive analytics, because predictive analytics is in fact, nothing else than defining a number of variables that define a given problem, a given data set. And those variables are uh, semantically describing uh, the phenomenon that we have. So, for instance, if you would have a problem of uh, classification and you would like to, uh, uh, to classify, for instance, persons which have an inclination to buy a certain product rather than another, then you would use a number of features, right? So in the last, uh, I would say, uh, 10 years, uh, most of the so-called predictive analytics problem was centered around the idea of extracting and defining good features. Those features were uh, 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 most of the time handcrafted. So you would actually look at the data set and understand which part of the data set would be describing well the problem at hand and craft the uh, a feature which would correctly represent that mechanism that context that idea however what we see today is that handcrafting or coming with a, a set of good features the so-called feature engineering is still a very hard problem and not all the uh, data scientists or or not all the teams uh, currently have the background, the capacity, uh, and sometimes also the the knowledge to cover this wide set of uh, transformations, which bring to a good um, set of features, right? So this is one problem. The other problem is that feature engineering, in some cases, is very hard to uh, to be described 
by uh, simply uh, looking at the data. So, for instance, if you take scenarios like data sets uh, for uh, cyber securities or, uh, or certain data sets for uh, for marketing, where actually the features are, or let's say the variables describing the, the various samples are not very descriptive. It's very hard to, uh, to craft and engineer features because our understanding of those initial uh, variables composing the, the, the samples is, might not be sufficient to, to extract in a, in a sort of a ad hoc way the right features. So what we see today is that next to um, feature engineering, we see a, emerging a new sort of uh, um, class of techniques where the features are actually extracted automatically, or let's say almost they, uh, they are, uh, they are uh, emerging from the data. Uh, simply by uh, analyzing what are the patterns that define uh, those data sets. Mm -hmm. So things like uh, uh, neural networks and uh, uh, this sort of uh, hierarchical uh, methods for feature extractions uh, as SVMs in particular and, and some other techniques are there for this reason because we want actually today to move a bit farther from the idea that we know which features are uh, required for a given problem or we know how to craft those features to a scenario where those features are actually provided by a sort of a meta-algorithm, if you, if you wish, which extracts those parameters. There are pros and cons in this scenario because, of course, as as soon as we move into the direction of uh, algorithms that extract features that define problems, we kind of lose uh, some of the power of describing the, the problem at hand. So you might actually end up in scenarios like, for instance, uh, we saw uh, lately with Google uh, winning uh, a, a Go competition, that we don't know exactly what are those let's say, patterns which have been learned by the machine in order to uh, perform the task so well. On the other side, why we should uh, know that uh, in so many details, what are the patterns if those patterns are extracted? Well, so those are the patterns, right? So, especially in scenarios where data is, uh, uh, the semantic of the data is very sparse, and by that, I mean, for instance, you would have a data set for cybersecurity, which encompasses like uh, hundreds, if not thousands of variables. And there is not a single variable that really defines whether that packet on the net is actually a genuine packet or not. But it will be a combination of all those hundred variables that define that. So um, in that case, these algorithms are are there to... Um, to extract and concentrate those patterns uh, into forms which are uh, semantically richer. Yeah, that would be, uh, I think, uh, in my opinion, the biggest change which is happening in the last years. Uh, this change is based on uh, some of the work which has been done already in, in the last 30 years or even longer. Uh, but only now uh, we are seeing... Um, the combination of sufficient data and sufficient computing power mm -hmm. 
in order to be able to extract this pattern autonomously. Right, right. And so diving a little bit deeper into this, in a recent talk, you outlined machine learning techniques that businesses can implement today. And you talked about how predictive models can be embedded as microservices. So what are some of the more accessible techniques that businesses can use? And what are some of the more interesting microservices applications you're seeing? Yeah, so uh, microservices are actually, uh, you could almost define them as the um, uh, service-oriented architectures uh, for the hipster generation, uh, since they are, uh, uh, in a way, uh, uh, conceptually, is still the same uh, infrastructure. So you have a service which is exposed to some form of, uh, of an, uh, uh, an API and uh, programming interface, and uh, uh, you would like to uh, provide some form of, uh, uh, let's say, results uh, given the data that you're passing through this interface. As such, microservices, they maybe are uh, one thing uh, different in the, uh, with respect to the traditional service-oriented architecture that we have been seeing in the last uh, uh, 20 plus years. And this is the fact that uh, they tend to be uh, more intuitive in the way uh, you um, interface uh, with them. Both uh, speaking in terms of machine-to-machine -machine as well as in terms of uh, man-machine. Traditional uh, service-oriented architecture used to be very complex and uh, to, uh, uh, to build but also to learn and to use. Uh, microservices, when done properly and they obey to the idea that they actually would provide uh, a solution to one problem and one problem only. Uh, so this sort of uh, uh, separation of, of concern and this sort of unity within the, the microservice, um, they uh, serve, uh, they serve uh, let's say, the, the, a good purpose. And the purpose is the, uh, the idea of um, exposing um, a technique, an algorithm, via an interface. Mm -hmm. Now, in the past, uh, we have seen that most of the APIs, which are also traditional APIs, were mostly catalogs. So you would actually go and insert a new item in a catalog or uh, delete it or modify that and so forth. Now, what we see today is that uh, this sort of first layer of, uh, of APIs uh, is the the layer that deals uh, with the with the data as such uh, and uh, the more uh, let's say data set oriented sort of apis um, they are um, augmented by a new layer of apis which doesn't actually deal with the raw data as such but deals with insights and uh, uh, more the informations that you can extract from this data so microservices applied to uh, uh, as a way of uh, of applying predictive techniques uh, into an uh, an engineering platform is actually exactly this so to expose higher level services such as recommendation or or uh, for instance anomaly detection or uh, all forms of uh, advices and uh, um, selections that you can do on uh, given a, 
a context which is passed, which, which could be, for instance, the a user context or um, a certain uh, configuration of, uh, of parameters, for instance, product-to-product uh, product comparisons or product-to-product, uh, product, uh, let's say, uh, recommendation and so forth. These are actually uh, also microservices, only that those do not deal with, uh, let's say, the, the raw data or, or the data sets as such, but more with the insight and, and the patterns that you can extract from those, those data sets. So uh, we start to see in a sort of a layered architecture uh, when it comes to, uh, to data. Uh, where APIs are, are serving several layers of this uh, uh, data architecture. Starting from the, from the lower level with the raw data, you would have an uh, insight uh, uh, layer with predictive techniques, uh, um, uh, recommendation, anomaly detection, classification, forecasting, and so forth. Going up to, uh, let's say, what today is seen as the ultimate uh, layer, which would be a, a form of a, a sentient or cognitive or, or AI-driven uh, layer, where actually uh, the inside themselves are the constituents uh, for uh, a, an even more uh, complex and, uh, and uh, reasoning, which is then delivered uh, from a machine to facilitate certain aspects of our life. So if you now would translate that part and you would consider that uh, the impact that microservices would have on, uh, on, uh, on, on people and organization, you could definitely see the following. So the, uh, in terms of individuals, uh, let's say there is a sort of a, in my opinion, a sort of a positive feedback loop between uh, uh, the quality of a service and the quality of the predictive techniques which are uh, provided. A good recommendation is providing a better feedback than, uh, um, than a less good recommendation. Therefore, companies and, uh, and services which would provide high-quality data science embedded in microservices uh, would, as a sort of a, uh, let's say, almost natural selection, in my opinion, would, would be selected uh, by, uh, by customers as uh, good examples of uh, or, or good products or, or good services. So in this natural selection, uh, what we are seeing today is that uh, um, a sort of a context or contest, or, or I would say, uh, the uh, sort of relation towards uh, providing data science with high quality, mm -hmm. right? Even from uh, in terms of ma machine to machine interaction, uh, machines can, uh, by accessing those APIs, can actually take a better decision if the service provides high quality results. So, uh, machines using services where microservices which function well will again take better actions and provide another uh, set of microservices and so forth. So uh, you see that today um, we are, uh, let's say, in a sense, um, there is an API uh, economy and there is an API ecosystem and there's a uh, machine-to-machine, and there is another ecosystem, which would be a uh, machine-to-people. Uh, and those two ecosystems, they thrive on, uh, on quality, uh, on high quality in microservices and predictive techniques. Um, 
So definitely then the coming years are, are, are going to be extremely uh, relevant when it comes to uh, what sort of uh, insight and um, understanding can, uh, let's say, an AI-supported uh, uh, decision or, or, or scenario uh, provide us. Um, and the application are, of course, uh, incredibly uh, vast, and they go from, uh, let's say, uh, the more traditional marketing techniques, but also to uh, security. Uh, they go to uh, well-being. Uh, there are medical applications. And, of course, I would say that uh, um, there are some ethical implications in, in, in this sort of, uh, um, let's say, uh, results. Uh, which must be also be uh, taken into account, absolutely. But definitely we are on the verge, in my opinion, of, of, a, of, an, uh, of a renaissance uh, of, of data and uh, automated data analysis, uh, which might have quite some significant uh, implication on, uh, on our uh, future life. Right, right. You mentioned marketing. One of your areas of expertise looks at solutions around personalized marketing applications. What sorts of applications are you seeing today already and what do you expect to see in the future? Yeah. Um, when we talk about marketing, I think that marketing is moving into uh, even increasingly more into this domain of uh, understanding the customer and understanding the customer context. Um, as such, I see more there of a uh, evolution rather than uh, a revolution in the sense that like we used to in the past uh, create models in all sorts of uh, uh, marketing departments about customers and about their, their likings and their preference, uh, scoring products with respect to, uh, to customers' uh, preferences and so forth, we see actually the same today, only that we are uh, uh, living in an, era, in an era which is quite the, where the amount of information available is, is higher and the interaction points uh, between uh, customers and a service or a, pro or, or, a, or, a, or a company offering a product are largely uh, digitalized. Therefore, they, are, they, they, they serve pretty well when you want to create more complex, uh, richer uh, models uh, for this person. So, um, things like, for instance, better predictive recommendation, uh, which goes beyond uh, the idea of uh, uh, looking at the current uh, set of uh, let's say, listed products on the website, but looks more, for instance, more in the direction of uh, capturing the intent of the customer at a higher level. Things, for instance, like, uh, um, am I looking for, uh, um, uh, for a vacation or uh, am I in a, in a sort of a, a discovery mode or am I more in a sort of mode where I want to uh, dig in and understand the the technical, uh, the technicalities and the details of a, of a given product. So uh, capturing the intent is, uh, is this new sort of uh, level that we are reaching. And some, some web, some services are already going into that direction, uh, asking uh, a few uh, very targeted questions before entering, for instance, a search, a search session about 
what is your purpose today? So like almost like uh, you would uh, enter, uh, let's say, a shop and then uh, the first per uh, things that uh, uh, you would be uh, asked is, uh, why are you here today? What is the, uh, what would you like to achieve with, uh, uh, are you just browsing or are you uh, looking for something specific? And so we see now that this interaction is becoming actually more and more present in the digital world as well. So we see that, uh, let's say, uh, APIs and services are not just passive, uh, uh, waiting for the customer to interact and, uh, and create touch points in the experience uh, journey. But slowly but surely, we see also services which actually ask back and require some more context to have a better proposition. So the, the goal is still the same to provide a better service and to be uh, helpful for a customer in his particular journey or experience. Only that those techniques are uh, more, more sophisticated, they are more personalized and they embed more context. And so shifting gears just a little bit, another area that um, you've been exploring is machine learning and financial services. You recently participated on a panel looking at that. What interesting applications are you seeing in that space? Yeah, the world of uh, financial services with, uh, let's say, traditional companies which are today uh, accelerating uh, their uh, technology cycles, as well as fintechs, which are uh, introducing new elements, for instance, for uh, uh, speeding up payments or speeding up, uh, let's say, uh, um, all, all sorts of uh, uh, traditional uh, uh, banking or financial products, uh, they're really working well together and, and, and almost rejuvenating the entire domain at the moment. Um, so uh, what you see today is, for instance, there are a number of machine learning uh, up driven uh, APIs or, or services where uh, by looking at the uh, available data, and also we, we see uh, big data as a concept being applied there as well, they tend to speed up, let's say, certain decision processes where before uh, those decision processes would uh, require days, bringing those back to, uh, to minutes, right? So um, this is possible uh, because the um, the models and the risk uh, uh, calculation involved in some scenarios do not require, uh, for instance, uh, traditional, let's say, uh, uh, advisor or expert-driven approach to uh, to follow the all the steps uh, involved in the in, for instance, in the selection of a pro financial product. So, think, for instance, of uh, mortgages or uh, short-term loans, etc. Uh, these are areas where actually, uh, when applied correctly, uh, machine learning uh, could, and data science can be a tremendous, uh, uh, let's say, extra, let's say, method uh, uh, and technique that can be uh, added to the expert analysis. So that part definitely is there. Retail-wise, uh, uh, I would say that uh, payments are uh, transactions. And we are seeing a sort of convergence there, where actually transactions are seen as transactions more similar to the one of other domains. 
transactions are transactions these days. So on um, a WhatsApp message, a like on Facebook, uh, uh, a money payment, uh, an email, telephone call, uh, they're all transactions. So once you actually tackle that, uh, uh, this sort of uh, problem from that perspective, you see that there is a lot of that you actually can pick from those different domains, whether they are telecom or uh, social network uh, uh, related, and actually bring those back to, uh, uh, to the financial world. So um, things uh, related, uh, for instance, to let's say, network analysis of transactions, uh, favorite recipients, and uh, location-based uh, transactions and so forth, which are kind of common in, uh, in other domains, such as social networks or telecom. Uh, they are now uh, entering slowly but surely also the, uh, the financial sector. And uh, this can, in fact, provide a much fresher uh, let's say, approach to finance where transactions are kind of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, are provided in a lighter way so that uh, they don't have that, uh, they don't carry that load of being, let's say, a traditional money financial connotation, but being more of a interaction between uh, individuals that in this case implies uh, some amount of money transferred from uh, uh, account A to account B. Photos and, uh, and uh, videos and chat uh, are also things which are also becoming uh, more and more part of uh, uh, the retail experience, even in the financial world. And we are seeing today interesting crossovers uh, between, uh, let's say, networks, uh, uh, between, let's say, uh, those sort of uh, aspects of, the, um, of, of a journey. Uh, where actually the customer is seen uh, as, a, as, as, a, as a sort of uh, um, entity where uh, uh, financial and, and non-financial transactions, so for instance chats and so forth, can be actually uh, very well combined uh, within uh, financial products. Right, interesting. So to wrap up today, what emerging areas of machine learning and or predictive analytics are, are you keeping an eye on? When you do research and you read papers or mm. studies, what is it that you read and what, what are you finding most compelling? Yeah, um, well, uh, lately I'm, uh, uh, I'm following the, the arena of uh, um, neural networks and, uh, of course, uh, technology-wise, uh, um, I'm following from... Uh, close by uh, the, uh, both uh, uh, Spark as well as Flink, as they are uh, uh, technologies which really enable these sort of uh, scenarios and, and complex data processing today. There is also another, things, uh, an, another uh, area where I see some convergence, and that is uh, the area of cloud technology and, uh, and the data processing. I see that uh, most of the... Uh, let's say the original uh, big data uh, setups were mostly on-premise, but now we see also that we, we see a shift or, or more, or even better than a shift, we see a convergence of, uh, of data application, which are more ubiquitous, which can be moved from premise to cloud. And all those systems they, uh, today, they may require 
a large amount of machines, uh, which might be more cost effective uh, in, in, a, in a cloud environment for, for certain uh, application rather than on-premise. And, and I'm interested actually in, in, in how you could, for instance, um, define where the application uh, should uh, move uh, between cloud and premise. And so, let's say um, Apache projects uh, such as uh, uh, Apache Beam, which provide a sort of an integrated uh, and a uniform approach to data processing, whether it's cloud or, or uh, for instance, combining the API of, uh, of uh, um, uh, data flow uh, in, in, uh, at Google with Flink and, and Spark, uh, they might be quite interesting. I'm following the NoSQL technology since NoSQL is becoming uh, uh, almost like uh, SQL again. Uh, so it's interesting how that uh, cycle is being uh, is, is, is being run uh, in 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 those uh, at, uh, companies like DataStax and uh, streaming technology in particular. I think is uh, and is gonna be. Uh, uh, quite important in the in, in the next years since we see uh, fast data, so data that uh, um, uh, rather than uh, big data, uh, also an, uh, an area where uh, um, you can definitely derive uh, lots of uh, insight and you can provide actually interesting products uh, just by looking at uh, high responsive systems. Yeah? There is another two things which I, I think today uh, are, are relevant in, in the in the realm of uh, big data processing or fast data processing. Uh, one is, uh, let's say, uh, all those tools which are uh, related to easing up the uh, the job of providing uh, data pipelines uh, by means of UIs. Uh, so, um, let's say. Uh, without naming companies in, in particular, but I think that uh, UI-driven uh, data pipelines uh, are, are definitely going to be uh, extremely helpful uh, since uh, programming uh, skills are, are available, but they're still quite scarce, especially in, uh, in big enterprises. And this could definitely uh, simplify um, the, the task of uh, building those complex products. Um, last, to conclude uh, this question, I would like to, uh, to say that uh, operationalized data science, so having actually complete end-to-end uh, uh, -end, uh, holistic approach to data science, which encompasses not just the product, but also the testing, uh, the data quality, the, uh, the engineering aspects, is one of those arena where uh, one of those domains where we uh, we, we see that uh, we can still have more maturity in terms of uh, products and 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 tools offered on on the market. Well, thank you very much for talking with me today, Natalie. It's been fun. My pleasure. We now have over eighty free reports on many topics in data science, big data, and AI. They cover trends, tools, techniques, and applications. Go to O'Reilly.com slash data slash free for a complete list of our free reports. You can follow Natalina Busa on Twitter at N-A-T-B-U-S-A. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. <laughs>